0: Hello and welcome to Noise Creators episode 11. I'm here this week with James Paul Wisner. What I think is cool about this episode, at least for me, I haven't done a lot of these with people who I'm like a huge fan of their work, but when I was coming up as a producer in like kind of, I guess like not the first days of my production career, but like somewhere I was doing a whole ton of work, um, some of my favorite records that I'd hear and just marvel at how amazing the production was and how perfectly crafted the songs were Were from James Wisner. I was working for Alan Douchess at the time and we'd be mastering a lot of these records and I would hear them and it would just blow my mind how well they're done. So some of those that you might be familiar with as well are Under Oaths, They're Only Chasing Safety, Dashboard Con- Confessionals, The Places You Come to Fear the Most, Further Seems Forever As The Moon Is Down, I'm pretty sure he even did the one after that, too. Paramore, he did the first Academy Is record, which is, like, one of those records I've listened to a million times and just sounds perfect. And you even hear me gush about some other ones in this podcast, like Lorraine Drive and Quiet... What was the other... Nah, I can't remember the other one. But anyway, he's been doing great work for a real long time, and uh, you should get to know what he does. He's down in St. Claude, Florida, and you should check out his Noise Creators profile, On our site, get to know his Spotify playlist and learn his discography, read through his credits, learn his bio, because James does incredible, incredible work. Check it out. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that... You share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it facebook it take a picture of it and send it to us at noise creators on every single one of the social networks and what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones and if you're one of the best ones We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the
1: word on our service. Thanks. Uh, So what's your chain for recording your voice today? A Neumann M149.
0: Oh, that's Uh, a great mic.
1: Yeah, yeah. It might be a little overkill, but uh, but fuck it. And then into uh, a Wonder PEQ, one R mic pre-EQ. And then that's going into a Lynx Hilo A to D converter.
0: Nice. I-, I think for right now, you're breaking the record for most expensive chain we've had uh, <laughs> right now. Nice. <laughs> so tell me about your background in music.
1: Yeah, let me see. Uh, Well, both my parents were musicians, and uh, my father in particular was a-, a music producer. And he actually did quite well he had a uh, uh, quite a few gold records and platinum records i, I and... remember
0: i remember this so could you tell us what some of those were
1: oh shoot so offhand uh, yeah there was a, a band called the councils they had uh, um... it's
0: funny it's one of my father's favorite bands
1: oh funny okay yeah. okay great, always, great.
0: Ta- always talking about them growing up
1: okay great uh i mean there's an awesome picture of him with tony bennett he, he used to do a lot of uh, uh the string arrangements for stuff so there's a killer picture i'd love to get from him working with tony bennett with barbara streisand he's he's worked with a lot of people and recently i found out that he played live with judy garland which is mm. quite, yeah and uh the big thing was like playing over the rainbow and he was just him on piano and her singing wow um, so yeah he's he's done some pretty cool stuff
0: so so obviously you had a uh, good place to learn about music
1: <laughs> yeah i i felt really fortunate in that end and and so you know my dad had a uh a demo studio in the basement i was i grew up in new jersey and so he had a drum set he had a four track recorder a couple of four tracks and a two track and you know that's kind of where i got my start nice where in new jersey town called south orange
0: i grew up in montclair
1: oh there we go yeah and he's in montville and oh that's funny right and so inglewood's right by there too
0: oh yeah yeah <coughs> wow. that's so right, funny right.
1: small world yeah it sure is so
0: you're around all this music, you're playing in bands, things like that?
1: Yeah, well, a thing for me, I guess someone introduced me to the Beatles when when I was about 10. And that was like the real official start for me because uh, I just dropped everything and was, was completely obsessed by the Beatles. And along with uh, my dad's studio, I started playing drums in a, in a band. We played Beatles stuff. And so that's when I was in New Jersey. And then I moved down to florida when i was about 13 and then i was playing in bands but then my mother was incredibly supportive as well built me an awesome studio out of the the garage and i'm talking like a double window with a control room and a you know and the and the place was done acoustically nice and and so that's where i was i was doing stuff and and so i'd play in cover bands but then i was also recording in the studio
0: that's a pretty awesome start yeah Um, yeah so you have the the studio. How does it shift from being recording your friends over to getting to some of your bigger credits?
1: Well, I had that, and and then there there came a point where I had to just be on my own and survive. And and so I'd say a few years went by, and I came to a place in my life where I was like, you know what? I've because I had written a bunch of songs, but I knew I really didn't have the drive to be an artist. And so I was like, what do I want to do? And so I was like, you know what? I love recording. I love working with people and trying to create something awesome. And so I just started getting some gear and and I basically just, you know, a total DIY approach to it. And so I saved up. I got a few pieces. It was at a time where digital was starting to take hold. They were having some breakthroughs in, in these mini recording. Roland had a little eight track recorder and totally. Yeah, right. And so I put together a little studio. And I would go to these open mic nights or I'd go to where bands were playing. And I had a little demo of stuff I'd done. And that along with some local ads, uh, I was starting to engineer and, and record stuff.
0: I, I think it, it, that's funny. You're the first person to say that ads uh, had any effect on their career.
1: Right. They actually did. And uh, the, the thing for me is I, I, I played on at the time... The, the first big investment I had was a, was a digital console called the, uh, Yamaha O2R. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, that was right? like the one of that era. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. And and in fact, that's what I mixed a lot of the early stuff. Uh, the, the moon is down in okay. particular. With wow. I,
0: it's, it's so funny. I would never think that that's like the sound of that record.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, digital was in its early stages. And uh, as far as particularly on that level mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was tough to get a great sound out of it.
0: Yeah, but you you definitely like that probably is a testament to your talent is like that record still sounds warm. And that era was very tough to get a warm, nice sound from.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, well, anyway, then that that was the thing. So I did these ads. And they were, you know, I was just like, hey, you can get a really amazing sound from, from this console. I kind of jumped on that. And fortunately, at least in the beginning stages of being an engineer, that, that worked. And then I'd say my first break as a producer, I met a guy who was head of the uh, drum shop at a local music store. And he happened to have just gotten this, uh, two guys had just joined the band. And one of them was Chris Caraba, Dashboard Confessional. And so they had a band called the Vacant Andes, and we started doing some recordings. Uh, and then Chris started. Do- Chris was like, "Hey, I want to do my own. I've got this acoustic stuff." And I started recording with him. And then he had further seems forever, and and so these just led to, you know, to different things. And there was one guy that I had been working with, uh, and he joined Tooth and Nail. He had his own label called Take Hold Records. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, I remember
1: that. Okay, yeah, Chad Johnson mm-hmm. was his name. And Chad was definitely one of the guys who, you know, really liked my work and was a fan and and we started doing projects together and that's where under oath uh, i started working on Hmm. their early stuff and then chad went over to tooth and nails so along with further seems forever there was also under oath and uh, and and a few other bands and that kind of started getting me going
0: awesome so you have your own studio can you tell us a little bit about it
1: yeah uh let me see i mean well i'm recording on pro tools i think the main thing it's out of my house i've got this house uh in a place called St. Cloud. It's just a little bit south. And, uh, and the whole house is basically for recording. And it's got a really nice feel to it. I've been here, in fact, first started recording here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while now. Anyway, though, uh, I guess the main thing is that I, I have a setup where I'm recording onto Pro Tools, but then I'm going into a summing mixer. And I've got a really nice piano. It's a Mason and Hamlin. And, and yeah, just over the years, it just you know I've tried different gear out, but I've kind of got it down to a system of, uh, of what I feel is getting a really good tone.
0: So with that, yeah, why don't you tell us about some of the gear you have and what makes your studio unique?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because I, you know, I can't say like I know what other guys do or don't. I mean, I.
0: Well, I mean, you even talked about how so you could record through most of the house. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds very interesting.
1: Okay, got it. Yeah, well, I guess this would make the studio unique. I mean, one, it's in a house. What I love about this house is that it's a big open floor plan, and and when you walk in and it's where I record drums, it's a big high A frame type of ceiling
0: wow that sounds awesome
1: yeah and then the thing though that's making it work in the house is i have a lot of these tube traps made by a company called asc i've got a ton of those and that really allows me to place you know i can get different tones out of the for the drum recording depending on how live i want the room to sound but it really makes it possible you know when i record the singer they're surrounded by these tube traps and particularly for an amp uh, I'm using these tube traps to really create the, the acoustic space that I need to get a good clean recording. And so that along with the gear, I'm I feel really good about the, the kind of the raw tracks that I'm getting.
0: Awesome. What's the coolest piece of gear your studio has if you had to pick one?
1: If I had to pick one, I have this Mercury M sixty six limiting amplifier yeah. and it's basic- that's a great yeah. piece. It' that, awesome. I, I love that thing, and it just—it's uh, it, a great copy of of an old Fairchild limiter. And it's this forty five pound thing that has like eight tubes in it, and and it just is is an amazing piece of gear.
0: That's awesome. Can you tell us what instruments you play?
1: Yeah, I play uh, guitar. I started on piano. I can play drums. I know how to think like a drummer. I've had had the privilege of of growing up with some really great drummers as well. Uh, and then I've done bass. Uh, I can play bass, and I've done bass on a few records. And actually, right now I'm taking vocal lessons, so I can oh, wow. sing. But I, yeah, but I want to really learn how to sing correctly. And
0: it, it, it's really funny because you don't hear the side of like an established producer like yourself of still improving their craft. Like it's so awesome to hear that you're taking vocal lessons. And it's like you know, I feel like so many people rest on their laurels once they have any success.
1: Oh yeah. Well, the vocal thing that's like a challenge a personal challenge for me uh i can carry a tune but to do it correctly and i'm actually starting to do better and then i'd say another thing and i really am always working on this is the whole programming end Hmm. uh with the software because i'm usually adding programming or keys to the projects that i'm working on so uh particularly on this there's a record coming out this band hands like houses oh yeah uh,
0: so that's uh rise records band
1: yeah yeah and, and we're all real excited about the record and uh and i'm doing a lot of programming in fact they they had lost their keyboard player right before the record and so we used to share we, you know the the programming duties but now basically i had to do most of it and i really took some time to to find out the sounds and and really try to to push things to get a fresh sound nice yeah so that's kind of ongoing because that's the nature of of you know the the music in general. so
0: Totally. So that actually brings me very well into the next question, which is, um. so like we have like this saying on the podcast, like, you know, you have like one side of the spectrum, like the Steve Albini who like won't write anything for you, but barely comment on the takes you do, just try to capture what you do. And then the other side, you have like John Feldman who totally rewrites your songs for you. Where do you see yourself usually falling into on that scale?
1: I like to get involved in the songwriting as far as, Listening to the songs and just looking for what makes a great song. And so a big part of the process for me is Before the band comes into the studio of going back and forth with the with the demos And so I'm usually not getting involved with particularly the writing Occasionally with Walt say I'm working with the vocalist and little things Uh, But I want it to come from the band and I really push for that and sometimes there's co-writers but I'm more guiding the process just to look for the qualities of of a, what are making a great song.
0: I like I like that. That's a g- good way of putting it. So, what do you see in on most records that you bring to the records?
1: I guess it's just my personal background, mm-hmm. and and one thing I've noticed, and and at first I wondered if it w- would be a problem, but basically my influences and what really shaped my, my at least my my start in music. Is not really the music that I actually record, and so when I got into things, and particularly with with bands that were very indie, the the guys would come in and they'd have all these records that they that they were into, and they were just bands I never heard of. Mm -hmm. and And what I found though is that that ends up being unique. You know, like I record a lot of bands like if they're screaming or or whatever the style is, but it's usually pretty different from what I grew up with because I I grew up on the on the Beatles. Uh, and then later got into, you know, more of the, the 70s and then 80s. I, I didn't really connect with so much, but then the 90s again and more of a rock guy. And so it's it's those influences and then working with whatever style I found to be, you know, my own my own contribution.
0: I think that's one of the funny things is that sometimes bands, they're like looking for like, I want somebody who has the exact same taste as me. And it's like, that's not actually what you want. In a producer, what you want is somebody who has really honed themselves on some classics and seen what you like, what the standards are that are a little bit higher than perhaps your local bands that you're all listening to. So, what's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio?
1: The biggest thing for me is not being prepared. You know, I tell the bands when we first talk that, hey, listen, this the time before you come in is like the most important time. Agreed. Yes. the farthest, you know, the more farther along we're in and knowing the songs and knowing what's going to work, then when they're here, we can take it from there because time is precious no matter what. I mean, you can spend a week on a record or you could spend a year. And sometimes with the band's uh, situations where they take on a tour, they do this, they do that, and it eats into that time, and it's like, hey, the, the recording is what is representing you, and it's a little more weight on me, uh, or the you know any producer if they're not coming in prepared. And so there is song preparation, and then there is knowing the parts. You know, that to to take the time and make sure you know what what you are playing, even though we're going to be working with stuff or changing things. It's it's just being prepared in general.
0: Nice. What's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process?
1: During the recording process, I mean, you know, to address the point before, before the recording is, is being prepared, having a great system in place to demo their stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that that's one of the things that doesn't get said enough is that the bands that do demo get a dramatically better part or or, I'm sorry, dramatically better record.
1: Yeah. Like, like the bands, uh, I mean, take it on as far as developing things as much as you can, because my whole musical ability uh, as far as a guitar player in particular, uh, I improve so much by recording myself, hmm. and it's like the tape doesn't lie. When you hear some band, well, uh, there's quite a few bands. If they haven't worked with a producer who's who's going for a certain level of professionalism, it's an eye opening experience because they think there's. It's a famous thing for me where it's just like the band's like, oh no, we're gonna come in and we're just gonna track and everything's gonna be, you know, we're gonna move along, you know, we know our parts, whatever. And I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> at, because they come in and then i'm you know doing my thing as far as what it takes to to get something good and then it's like oh i didn't realize and so if those guys can you know the guys that do have that awareness and they're doing it on their own it's a big big plus plus. and then just during the recording process i mean i don't know just making sure they're focusing on it and and uh and doing what they can you know taking care of their their energy even or if they can uh You know, even make sure they're not eating in a way or, or they're, you know, I mean, there's the obvious thing of not partying too much, but Mm -hmm. just, you know, they're there to, to get down to business and they're trusting any band with a producer. There's got to be a certain level of trust with the producer. And I love the bands that are like, dude, do your thing. And there's a trust there. And then when I'm saying, Hey, I'm making certain suggestions you know they're taking it on uh, because it's just from my particular experience of what I've seen gets the best result
0: uh, that's great so so that leads me to uh, what happens when you and a band disagree about something
1: <laughs> that's uh, yeah that's an interesting question well, first of all, with me because there's different types of producers mm-hmm. and some are more want to be more involved than others, my overall thing is to want to work with the band to create something that's true to them while it's also I'm putting in my two cents to to have it come across in a certain way. So it depends on what the disagreement is. Hmm. On one end, I'm kind of looking like, is this disagreement? Because maybe they don't feel like it's the style that they want to go in. So it depends what it is. Hmm. On one end with the whole band and myself, I kind of like a voting thing where, well, let's take this particular situation. If it's the band is agreeing completely and I'm not, if I really think it's a good idea, I'll be like, you know, well, let me put this in and I'll show you what I'm, you know, what I mean by it in the mix or however. But if it comes down to it and it's like we just really don't want to do that and I've explained where I'm at, most of the time I'm like that's fine, you mm-hmm. know. Uh I'll present my case about it, but I don't really I'm not really the kind of person where it's like, you know, my way or the highway kind of thing. So if that's answering it, yeah. Yes,
0: no, no that, that that is a great answer, actually. So I have some rapid-fire questions, kind of about how you feel about some of the more modern production things that happen these days. Do amp simulators have a role in your production?
1: Only in the demoing stage, and only if it's creating a very unique sound. Otherwise, I love real amps. It just gets something to me, and and uh, if you use a really high-quality amp, uh, to me, it, it, it particularly the way it holds up in the mix. AMP simulators sound great alone, but then as it starts getting mixing with other instruments, it starts losing its substance.
0: Hmm. Oh, I, I, that's a great way of putting it. Actually, I like the losing substance.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't quite hold uh, compared to a real amp for me.
0: Uh, how about sampled drums?
1: Sampled drums. Actually, I'm very much into sampled drums. Um, particularly these days, where because of uh, with MIDI and the velocities. Mm -hmm. And that if you take a little time, you can really get it. You know, There's none of the machine gun effect, which used to be an issue uh, a a few years back. Uh, The thing that I find is I I go for getting a good drum sound. But what I find, it, it depends on the genre. And usually, if I think it's right, I'll mix it in. But what I tend to find is that a few samples mixed together, it just gets this killer punchy sound because the sound's Isolated, and I can really treat that sound without worrying about the uh, the live drums leaking in. And mixing in with a good room sound from the drum mics works really good for me. So that's my take on that.
0: So yeah, and so with the room sound, I can remember. There were so many times that uh, bands used to play me. Uh, I think it was a Lorene Drive record you did.
1: Oh man! Okay, cool.
0: And that had a g- great room sound. So wh- why don't you tell us about like you know? I know you've done tons and tons of r- records, but that record I seemed like a little bit more roomy. What what is the room like at your studio?
1: I'm really that's really cool. You brought up that, that particular. I, dude, record. I
0: I cannot tell you how many bands to be like make us sound like that (laughs) and that'd be like ah my drum room doesn't sound like that
1: (laughs) oh you know the thing about that record is that it's it was also the way that it was processed Hmm. and it's only that record to well first of all i do love room sounds of the of the drums in there and i not only use my room but i have this great reverb unit called a a brocasty m7 and that thing just can get rooms it's Better than plugins to me. And so, but on that record, yeah, there, we were going for a bit of that Zeppelin vibe with, with the room sound. And so, of course, it's, it's pretty heavily compressed. But all the tracks were run through a tape machine ah. and, and run through this particular Ampex 16 track. And it just got this sound. Mm. Uh, and on, on one end, unfortunately, it, it's pretty time-consuming to do. But it got such a great vibe, and it really worked for that record. Uh, so Agreed. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so tangent over. Uh, how about pitch correction in your productions?
1: Yeah, that's a big one for me. I personally, I use something called Melodyne, and I really go for, it takes a bit longer, but I, I try to, to do it in a way that you can't tell, truthfully. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I hear things, the, and it's got this synth vocal sound to it if it's pretty heavy handed. So I use pitch correction. It depends on the singer. It depends on yeah, this the skill level. I actually try to get singers to take vocal lessons too, uh, if they can before they come in or at least oh, check it out. Yeah, very much because uh it can be a real eye opening, transformative thing for for some singers.
0: So do you send them to a particular vocal coach or do you just tell them to go out and find somebody who works for them?
1: Yeah. Well I have at different stages of my life and and actually, now uh, my mother is a, is a vocal coach. Oh, and wow. She's, yeah. And, and she grew up doing opera and jazz, and, and she's actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so, if the band is willing or if there's time or however, then to, to take a few lessons with her. That's awesome. Yeah. I can really, like I say, it, it's not a, uh, it's like an exponential thing. You know, some singers, because I'll hear this potential. And then they just take a couple lessons, and it's, and it's a, a big shift. So then, with the back to the pitch mm-hmm. correction, like I say, my overall thing is, I, yes, I use it, but I try to use it in a way where, because the thing with me is that if you use it too heavily, it takes away the, uh, the feel, the emotion. Mm-hmm. It, it's in the, the vibrato and, and the weirdness that you're getting the feel. So that's what I shoot for.
0: Nice. Uh, do you master your own records?
1: It's not my preference. I can, and I can get a decent job. I, I, you know, I can get it loud or however I prefer though. uh, And I do have a guy that I use in particular, a separate guy who, who's got some serious gear and is not using plugins by the way, is using just, and I, I think when you, you have the right guy who focuses his craft on that part that, you know, it, it adds to the overall result. Awesome.
0: How long do you like to take to work on a song usually uh, for tracking and then mixing?
1: Let me see. I mean, I kind of have a thing of let's work on it until it's right. <laughs> so it, it you know, there I kind of have this internal meter, and it's just gotta hit that. Fortunately, whatever time we have, and I'm kind of gauging it with that, it it's worked out. There was a record I recently did where, and it was partly because the band wasn't prepared as prepared as, as they should have been that we had to stop at what we was supposed to be the end of the record and they had to do some touring and come back and then and then we finished it. So to me, I kinda have this thing of like until it's right kind of thing.
0: Nice. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer?
1: Try to make it great. You know, try to push yourself and, and don't stop until it's doing what, you know, it, it's like from the great records that I've heard and the great producers who've who have done them. The inspiration is in the result that they're getting. And and in the stories that I've heard about what they had to do, they didn't stop until they got it right in what they felt was right.
0: Nice. Tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio.
1: You know, uh, I would say the first quote-unquote real record that I did, which was The Moon Is Down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the band was Further Seems Forever. It was something that on one end was uh, actually in a way it was harrowing. It was, Mm -hmm. it was, it was awful and painful. And because I had an idea in my head and I just wanted, and I was trying just new thing, you know, a lot of new technology, a lot of new things out, just kind of threw myself in the fire with it. Mm -hmm. And so that record like changed my life because it was the first time where I just, you know, followed my heart and pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. We all did. And then when it was done, it was like, okay, does anyone care? You know, is anyone Mm going to appreciate it? You don't know. And it had a great response. And, yeah. and
0: How, considering they're able to do a ten year tour off of it and people still seem to be really influenced by it at that. I think people cared a lot.
1: It was it was a great thing to be a part of. It was a you know, it was kind of an honor and it was very fulfilling in that aspect. So yeah.
0: How about one of the worst moments and what you learned from it?
1: Yeah, one of the worst moments. Uh, it was just a you know, I've had bad moments where the the technical end of things just break down. I've had things where the computers just isn't fast enough <laughs> to do, and so it starts quitting and whatever, and it and it can be uh, very painful. So maybe on that end, a, a thing of I don't know. It's a tough thing. I I think now at least at this point it's not so much an issue. And so, just what did I learn from it was <laughs> I did get new stuff uh, on that end. With with a band though, uh, I had a particular situation where it was just a lot of egos. Mm. Um, we were not only. The band was arguing about what was wrong then they would argue about the way to fix it and i think for me there's this being a producer it's a it's a there's many jobs that are going on and it was a lesson for me in where to take a stand and to be like hey guys we we don't have the time for this this you know i don't know if this totally answering the question but that was something in particular for me where it was bad you know because there's a lot on the line and and there was a lot of money in it and it wasn't gonna go the record wasn't happening Hmm. Uh, and so thing, you know, and so for me, it was like, you know, there's certain moment where it's just like, you got to stand up and, and really take the lead in certain moments.
0: I like that. So you talked about the booze down, change your, tell me about another record you did that changed your life and what changed your life about it.
1: Well, that one in particular was great. The dashboard record place you've come to fear the most was a big life-changing thing for me because the, the story for me at that point was, There was a guy who was supposed to come in. He was going to come in for a month. I didn't get a deposit from him. It was at the start of things. The morning that he was supposed to be there, I called the guy, and I was like, hey, man, where are you? And he's like, oh, I decided I'm not going to do it, and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I'm like, are you kidding me? And I had this (laughs) moment where it was like, okay, I got two ways to do this. One, I can completely freak out and be fear, you know, just be like, what am I going to do? I, I just invested this money and and oh no and blah 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 or i can just accept it and go with it mm-hmm. and something's going on and two days later chris called me and said dude i i've got th- this record to do i signed with vagrant and and we need to do this now wow are you are you available and for me that was like a, a thing about trusting the the path of you know my intention was there and i'd been you know focused and so I went with it, and, and in that it was like, man, I, okay, I made the right decision, and it worked out. So
0: that's pretty, that's a, that's a pretty interesting story that that's how that record came to be.
1: Yeah, if I had recorded the other guy and I had his money, it, it may have not happened.
0: Wow, that is, that is pretty cool.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a big one for me. So,
0: what's a perfect record that somebody else has done, like that you enjoy? What about it makes
1: it perfect? Well, let me see. I, I mean, if I'm really looking at. Big, big time, perfect record. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say The Wall, Pink Floyd. Well, I like that. And and really a lot of what, in particular, the guy Roger Waters, who is the main creative force in the early stuff of, of The Wall. And I got so much influence from him because of the theatrical nature and that he went way outside the box to get across an emotional point. And so to me, it was the depth of, of artistry, the commitment to the recording, they just you know, when you listen to that thing from beginning to end, it is it is a work of art and you're deeply moved by it. And that to me was perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Tell me about five of your favorite records and uh, in your musical growth and like how they helped you grow into what you are today.
1: I was a big Beatles fan. So, I mean, I could pick anything but Sergeant Peppers because they were pushing boundaries as far as recording. To me, the Beatles are a band that that anyone should listen to because the more that time passes by, the more amazing they actually are in terms of what they did and what they brought into existence. Uh, you know, from nothing, uh, Sergeant Pepper's was amazing because they were the way that they recorded it and were pushing boundaries. The Wall, like I said before, and like I say, this is my old school rock type of thing. Fleetwood Mac, which has a great story, uh, the ba- uh, the album Rumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a perfect pop record Lindsey Buckingham is amazing Tool, A Anima had a major impact Mm. on me you know I just listened to that record straight for for three months and then overall and then the particular record Foo Fighters I think Dave Grohl's amazing and just the the particular album though is Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace Mm. it's just a perfect rock record and he just has a great balance of being raw and inspired but also consciously knowing what he's doing Hmm. And knowing how to write a great song, knowing how to execute it. And yeah.
0: What's, what are your most favorite records of recent times and what inspires you about it?
1: Of recent times, actually, uh, I've actually just been listening to all kinds of different stuff. Uh, I'm kind of in a phase right now where I'm listening to a lot of uh, what's called high resolution music hmm. where it's not an MP3. It's actually 24-bit 96K or even this thing called DSD. And and I and so, where, so, so where are
0: you getting that stuff
1: from? Well, HDTracks.com mm-hmm. is a great site to buy it from. And then Acousticsounds.com, where they have these SACD files. And the big thing with that overall uh, is kind of sidetracking the question, but I really recommend it just in general because you get to hear the records the way that the band and the way that the producer intended. Because mm-hmm. a lot of guys, including myself, are a bit disheartened with mp3s on the surface they sound good but it's kind of like the amp simulation thing they sound good on the surface but when you hear the high resolution equivalent you're missing out on the space that it was recorded in and all this you know definition so as far as a, so that's there's that but a particular record is this guy damien rice uh, Oh yeah, a, yeah. yeah great uh i think he's irish folk guy and a particular album is uh, called my favorite Fantasy, and what I love about it is it's just a very honest and completely artistically authentic record, and the recording is a beautifully organic, uh, it, it feels like tape anyway, and it just just has such a great artistic vibe to it.
0: That's awesome. I, mean, I would definitely yeah. have to, I, I've been meaning to get stuff on HD tracks and enjoy it at home for a while, and this is uh, going to be my kick in the ass.
1: Oh, good, yeah, that and getting a, a having a really cool D to A converter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't recommend it I It's been life changing for me. That's so, awesome. Well, yeah. that,
0: this this talk's going to be my kick in the ass. <laughs> um, All right, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been working on lately?
1: Uh, lately, well, of course, I'm excited. About, I'm super excited about the Hands Like Houses record mm-hmm. coming out. There, uh, there's a band that's coming down. Eyes Eat Suns, hmm. uh, and they're a really cool band that I'm very excited about working with. There's another local band uh, called We Who Dare that happens to be super talented and then there's another band i'm very excited for them because it's a it's more of a pop genre a band called drawing north and and they actually got a, a major label deal and i'm really excited to see what is going on with that
0: that's, uh, that's awesome yeah. it sounds like you got a great calendar coming up
1: yeah yeah i'm excited about uh, what what's coming up for the year too yeah
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creators' website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you are unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at jessecannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.